This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'm back with my good friend, Roy Snell, the CEO of the SCCE, Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics, for another episode of Unfair and Unbalanced, our podcast about all things for the compliance profession. Roy, welcome. Uh, good morning, Tom. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. So, Roy, uh, we've had uh, some really interesting compliance profession-related topics and discussions in our world recently, and the one that I wanted to start with was a publication put out by the organization, the SCCE, on um, incentives and compensation, compensation in compliance, and most importantly, the compliance profession's role in incentives, corporate incentives and sales incentives. So I was wondering if you just might start us off from there and then uh, see where we can go with this. Well, um, I, I don't have in front of me any of the specific numbers, but suffice it to say that too many compliance professionals are not involved in uh, the uh, discussions associated with setting up incentive programs. And I want to be very clear. I don't think they ought to sit in every for every person uh, at the time a, a, a variable bonus is calculated uh, or determined. Um, but the ones that are uh, somewhat cast in stone mathematical bonuses that are determined uh, based on productivity or some such thing, uh, they should be involved in that policy or process um, and uh, I'm going to tell you how I would do it. Um, well, first I'll tell you why. Uh, obviously, uh, people do what you measure. People do what you financially reward them for. And so if your organization has a strong commitment to compliance and ethics, then this is one of the opportunities to, with a very a small amount of work, have an incredibly big impact. And I'll give you some examples and such. But the, the, the study found that a vast number of people weren't involved, and they're missing an opportunity to make some suggestions to incorporate compliance incentives. Now, I, I personally wouldn't pull out any of the production incentives, and, and we can talk more about that. I, I, I 
I think blaming all the world's problems on production incentives and uh, wanting to eliminate them all is unrealistic and unfair or illogical. Um, I, I would just add uh, compliance incentives, and uh, it's tricky. It's not easy, but I'll give you the, simp the most simple example that I, I can, that there was an organization out west, very large, 50,000-employee organization that <clears throat> had had taken a very unique approach to this where they said and and and, and the compliance officer by the way was involved in the process so they were able to give leadership some ideas that they totally embraced if as the study shows they're not at the table it's not going to happen but so this this brilliant compliance officer, in my opinion, and I'm very biased because he is a, a colleague of mine, but he uh, he just said, "Look, let's leave the incentive program that you have in place now for all of these top leaders of our organization, all these major decision makers. Uh, it, let's leave it all in place." What I'm suggesting is that we ask about nine questions to get at their support of an involvement in the compliance effort. And if they fail that, they don't get the bonus at all. And it, in my opinion, I heard little bits about it, that, 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 that the questions that they asked to make that determination if they were supportive were quite reasonable. Did they go to education? Did they participate in the education? Did they uh, do other various things? And, and I, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'm sure if you got six or seven out of the nine, you're probably going to be fine and be told next year, let's do a little bit better. But we can proceed with the typical calculation of your bonus. On the other hand, there were times when the individual had done little in the previous year in the area of compliance and didn't get their bonus. And so... Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a best practice. It's a young profession. Uh, we're still struggling with trying to inform leadership, uh, the board, uh, uh, about the opportunities that there are to make this thing a lot easier. And in time, it will become, I think, commonplace for every bonus structure to include some variation and there's a dozens of ways to do it to to uh, motivate or incentivize people and the last thing I'll say about this is it's when you know they've made very few changes to the chapter 8 of the US sentencing guidelines but one of them that that uh, was a very important uh, that they made was to also state they added the statement that the incentives should be used to to uh, uh, the compliance program um, to help motivate people, uh, and they were basically acknowledging the, the complaints of many people that we don't want to fix this all with just a stick. And it was uh, acknowledged and put in one of the, the most important document ever created for compliance. And and yet we're not seeing it. And uh, the survey showed that. 
So I really heard three things in there that I might like to unpack a little bit, Roy. Sure. The first I heard was incentives, and if we can, you didn't say this explicitly, but if we could take the flip side, disincentives uh, or sanctions or discipline for uh, as part of a best practices compliance program, incentivizing certain behavior. Uh, you also touched on incentives for senior management specifically for their role in a best practices compliance program. And then you started to talk about and then took a step back from uh, sales incentives, separate and apart from incentives yeah. in a best practices compliance program. So I was very interested because when I read the SCCE report, I didn't think about compliance incentives or incentives in a best practices compliance program because, frankly, I had assumed everyone had that. I thought you were talking about <laughs> yeah. compliance having a seat at the table for sales incentives. Yeah, I wish we'd have made that more clear, Tom. And I, you know, when I first thought about this, that's where my head went. But really, the survey is is our do you have a seat at the table? And we didn't really ask. And maybe the next time we'll do it, Tom, we'll ask. Do you have a seat at the table to, and be more specific, to incorporate positive compliance incentives that if you do this stuff, you'll get a bigger bonus. If you support compliance more than your peers, you'll get a bigger bonus. If you uh, uh, are found to be hindering the compliance program, you get a smaller bonus. Now, I want to talk about this in sales incentives, and I, I addressed it very uh, innocuously or you couldn't really tell, but I said, I just don't think you, we, we should run around and tell people in leadership uh, how to incentivize people for all other things like sales or quality or productivity or anything else. The compliance profession should not walk into the building of any company uh, for any employee, whether it be the doorman or the CEO, and say, this is how you should run the company, therefore this is how you should incentivize it. I don't agree with anybody that's saying that we should get involved in sales incentives. I don't think we need to. And, and, and frankly, you've heard me say this before, look, we could go in and tell them pull out all productivity incentives because it promotes cheating, which is just utter nonsense to begin with. People choose to cheat, okay? And we could, go, we could go get rid of all the sales incentives and, and eliminate one motivation in their life to cheat, and, and, and we wouldn't make a, a, a hill of beans a difference because they've got tons of other motivations. Their children, their children's college, their, you know, what, what I have a problem with is when people cheat, and then they blame somebody else. And if they're effective at blaming, people go, yeah, it was, it was the, your supervisor's fault. No, the guy who cheated, cheated because he chose to cheat. And you can take this one sales and say, we could wipe it off the face of the earth tomorrow and people would still cheat. And you know what they would do, Tom? They would point to somebody else or something else and say, it's their fault. 
and the, and the people who love to uh, uh, accept excuses and rationalization for bad behavior will say, yeah, let's go talk to those people about your bad behavior. Okay. Ultimately, here's my point. If people don't take personal accountability for themselves to have integrity, they're never going to have integrity. And everybody out there who gives them an excuse to blame other people uh, is enabling the cheating that's going on. I don't accept the excuse or rationalization for someone cheating uh, other than to say, I did it and I chose to do it. I'm going to give you an example of this. I went and watched um, our dear friend who got caught for bribery. I'm forgetting his name right now. Mr. Um, Richard speak here in Minneapolis for an hour and a half. Uh, 45 minutes was a presentation. He basically said, I'm going to tell you what happened, but I am making no excuses. I did it. And the most miraculous thing that I saw is this crowd of lawyers and compliance types and professors and other citizens of planet Earth apparently felt some empathy for Richard. And they spent was 30, 30 to 45 minutes saying, well, isn't it really the fault of your organization that they didn't do proper education? And Richard, you, ju you just should have seen the smile on his face, his hands held together in front of him, waiting for this person, trying to give him an excuse for his behavior. And just no, you, you just, after about five of these, you just knew that the guy was going to say the same thing again. You know, he said, no. As a matter of fact, they gave me a copy of the FCP law probably isn't adequate training today but it was more better than average in those days i knew what i was doing i chose to do it i'm not blaming it on them and then another and another and another and another person tried to give him an out and and it was there was compassion it was it was heartfelt but he wasn't buying any of it and that's the way that you and people have to look at it or they're going to end up lying, cheating, and stealing for the rest of their life. Because if they can blame somebody else, and society full of enablers are, are going to accept that excuse, then the things are not going to improve. Ultimately, cheating is, is in the hands of the individuals, and I don't buy all the excuses. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people disagree with that, but I'm not changing my mind. <laughs> sorry, well, Tom. Let me see if, uh, if I can't get you to change your mind. Let me tell you why I disagree with that. Okay. So on sales incentives, here's why I think compliance not only needs to have a seat at a table, at the table, but compliance needs to be involved in it. And I'm not going to point to an individual I'm going to point to sales incentives, the selection of sales incentives, and the process of selecting those sales incentives. Uh, I think it's a way to further operationalize compliance. Indeed, in the evaluation of corporate compliance document programs, document released by the Department of Justice, 
Uh, one of the specific questions it asks is how has the company considered the potential negative compliance implications of its incentives and rewards? And Roy, I would point to Wells Fargo. And there you had a, a sales incentive program. That sales incentive program was for each customer to have eight banking products. And the phrase was, eight is great. Now, that number of eight was not selected based upon a market analysis. It was not selected based upon what competitors were or were not doing in terms of their banking products. It was selected because the number, the word eight rhymed with great. And so there was no rational basis. And my uh, argument would be that with no rational basis, the process had fallen apart. So as the compliance professional at the table, I would ask, what was your process to come up with eight is great? And if the process uh, was non-existent, could not be duplicated, or was simply ba based on a children's rhyme, my su suggestion would be, I believe because there's no process around this, no rigor around this, no discipline, this could become a risk. And therefore, I would like to monitor this risk on an ongoing basis or sampled basis going forward. I would monitor that risk by uh, surveys, assessing how many people uh, made their target goal of eight is great and how they did so. And so if the process is lacking, then you move from uh, to uh, putting more rigor around the monitoring of that process. And it would fall in line with the comments that compliance is really there to prevent, detect, and fix if necessary. And here, uh, Wells Fargo seems to be to be an excellent example where if you want to have a sales incentive program that's based on a child's nursery rhyme, essentially, eight is great, you can do that. But that should be seen as a risk. And then there should be some risk monitoring around that uh, and management if it turns out that that risk could lead to unethical conduct, conduct in violation of code of conduct, or uh, illegal acts, which is where it ended up at the end of the day. And so that's why I really think compliance should be a part of that discussion. Do I need to be a part of the specific numerical decision? Uh, I don't think compliance needs to be a part of that, but I would argue um, that compliance should test the rigor of the process, and that test could simply be asking that question. But if you're not at the table to understand what the sales incentive program is for employees, uh, you're not going to even know, uh, be able to ask the question. So that's why I really think... Uh, compliance needs to have a seat at the table. Compliance needs to be a part of the discussion around employee sales incentive, uh, separate and apart from incentives under a best practices compliance program. You know, there, there, there are a number of organizations that have more than eight products, uh, legitimate products that on occasion someone buys all of them. And there are organizations with 24 products, or 1,000 products, but 24 products that asking people in the sales department to sell eight of them to a single individual would, would, not, would not be unheard of. And I don't know how many products that Wells had. I, I find it hard to believe that they were telling everybody to sell eight versions of the same bank account. Now, that was one of the products that the people 
sold a, a lot of or made up or illegally, inappropriately put, you know, created. But um, uh, to know that the, the, that the Aid is Great campaign was illegitimate from the start, you'd have to know a lot more than, than what I know. Um, and, and I suppose that there are occasions when the sales goal, let's just assume for the moment, there aren't eight products, more than eight products at Wells, or, or there's so few that the only way to get to eight is to do it illegally. Um, and if Wells Fargo only had eight products, or, or, or the only way to get to eight was to do it illegally, then I would agree with you. I just find that hard to believe. And here's, here's the bigger point, is that we have way too many people advocating for us to go in and do what I think is, is make operational decisions and get involved in the running of the company. Now, uh, I'm, 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 I'm in agreement with you. If there is a sales incentives that the only way to get it done is to uh, uh, behave uh, illegally or unethically, then it's leadership's fault, compliance should be at the table, and they should stop it. But what I'm seeing is these in in nine, you know majority of the cases in, in, in that of of any bonus structure I've ever experienced or been involved in or seen is they're all completely legitimate reason you know pretty reasonable expectations sometimes they're high sometimes they're low but again I'm sorry I'm sticking with it I'm never going to change the the person who chooses to cheat regardless of any other factor or motivation or excuse or rationalization is guilty of cheating. And, and until we start telling people that to, to be a decent human being on this planet, you have to take personal accountability. We are going to enable people to say, well, it looks like in this society, in this culture, if I can just make a good case for blaming other people, I can go ahead and cheat and I'm going to get away with it. And uh, I, I, I just so, yes, I, I agree, Tom, if there is an incentive that can only be achieved by cheating uh, the, 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 um, <clears throat> or breaking the law or behaving unethically, but that is such a slippery slope. And I personally would recommend to compliance officers to be extraordinarily careful if they do get a seat at the table, build in compliance incentives, uh, as I discussed earlier, uh, which motivates people to do more education or auditing or be involved or supportive or whatever. And if you decide to go down the route of telling leadership how to run the company, um, you've got to be very careful and very cautious, because uh, that's that's just going to ruin our profession. Uh, if, and, and by the way, we're not the only profession that's motivated to do that. I, I won't name any, but 
you know, I've I've worked with some professions before who think, you know, they have the specific job, the specific title, the specific role, specific people reporting to them, and they want to make all the decisions of the company because apparently they're not fulfilled in their job or, or, or whatever, or they feel so passionate about their job, they have to make the decisions for the CEOs and, and the other department leaders. This is, this is a thing that exists in society that plagues leadership today, is employees who are asked to do a specific job, and for some reason that employee thinks they have to make decisions outside of their field to be successful in their job. This is not just a danger for compliance us, it's a danger for everybody. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. It's pretty funny. I wanted to just talk about the incentive part of it and, and say, you know, like if you're supportive of training and all that, because this, this topic just grates on me. You and I have discussed it a couple other times. And, and frankly, we did that podcast somewhere. I can't remember where. We did live. And uh, I just said, you know, you have the, the, the ability to walk out of the building at any time that the corporation is, is, is insisting that you uh, lie, cheat, or steal. And, and the enablers in the room just screamed out, no, we have to feed the children. We have to put kids through college. And I'm thinking, like, we got a five or whatever percent unemployment rate in this country. You know, this is we don't have to have that as another enabler's excuse for us. We can choose to walk away. People quit jobs at the rate of about 15% a year, and, and they quit for all kinds of reasons. You can't tell me that some of them can't quit and go find another job because of their integrity is in question. I'm sorry. I just, I get a little crazy when we start making excuses for people. So next, Roy, I wanted to turn to the, um, what your thoughts might be on the role of a board of directors and compliance. And obviously we've had some fairly large corporate scandals over the past 18 months. And yeah, we sure have. The uh, not necessarily in the FCPA world, but certainly uh, risk, uh, business ethics, and generally compliance. And I was just wondering the S. Uh, obviously, the SCCE does board training, but have you noticed really any move towards more board professionalism around compliance, or is it uh, uh, kind of what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, and I'll be a little more. <laughs> about this one. I mean, it's frustrating. It's a challenge. Boards of directors don't know enough about compliance programs. Uh, somehow there is a, a lack of uh, information flow uh, to them about their role. I, I think a lot of people struggle that the limited time they get with the board, I mean, the board can't spend all day on compliance. They can't spend you know, two days in a primer. I mean, these, these folks have a lot of responsibility and a big agenda and, and we're just a part of their life. So it, it's, it's a challenge for sure. But, um, a couple of fundamental things I'd like to see the board do is one of them is review the compliance officers, review and approve the compliance officers annual review 
and their hire and fire uh, determinations. Now, a lot of hair, people's hair burst into flames right there. Certainly CEOs all over the world did. But um, I'm not talking about doing the performance evaluation. I'm just suggesting one simple check. If they are aware, uh, if, if they look at the review and it's just terrible and there's no raise and it's all scathing and it's this person's terrible, the compliance officer's terrible, and the person who filled out the evaluation was the subject or some of his employees or someone close to him was the subject of an investigation in the last 12 months, the board might say, I think we ought to ask somebody to look into this to see if those that know these two people, the evaluator and the, and the compliance officer, that if they feel as though that maybe this is um, retaliation. On the other hand, if the review is glowing and mostly positive, maybe a couple suggestions for improvement, typical review, they'll say, done. I don't need to see any more. And the hire and fire isn't to be involved in the selection process, but before the offer is made for a hire, just say, show me the resume. <laughs> I just want to see that this individual is remotely qualified for this job. And, uh, or if they're being fired, uh, I want to see what the reasons are and again, if there was a recent investigation of the person who's deciding to do the firing, they would question it. So very light touch there, um, very limited involvement, but just kind of that last check and balance to make sure that nothing extremely bad has gone on, not to comment on the, 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 the uh, content of the review or whatever. Um, the other thing I would do is, uh, you know, love to see boards of directors uh, have more executive session with the audit committee, um, excuse me, between the audit committee and the compliance officer, just like they do with the auditor. And let's take a couple of the recent examples that have been mentioned so far, Wells Fargo and uh, VW. Now, if they had a, a, a legitimate, independent, empowered, knowledgeable compliance officer in either of those companies that were made aware of the uh, environmental software uh, defeating device or the millions of bank accounts, a couple million bank accounts being set up erroneously, and those individuals were in meetings with leadership all the time and not, not able to get them to fix it. And they had a qu quarterly or annual uh, executive session with the audit committee, like the auditor, then um, they would be asked, uh, is anybody impeding any investigation around here or you know, are aware of any material problems that aren't being resolved? And they'd have to share that. Um, and uh, so uh, executive session uh, and, and the, I would like to see boards uh, like Wells and VW and all of them actually, not, and, and have a list of questions. I, 
and and you know, there's I I wrote up a list once. There's like 25. Just pull a couple out every once in a while and ask them. I wouldn't go through all 25. It wouldn't take four hours. I would just, you know, if I was a board member, I would ask two simple questions for sure every time I saw the compliance officer. Is anybody impeding your ability to implement an effective compliance program? And is anybody interfering with your ability to fix known problems? Um, it's a real frustration for the compliance profession is we can't, if overnight we could just get a couple of those very simple things done, if we could, if we could have an audio conference with every board member in the world tomorrow and literally take 10 minutes to share what I just did, the improvement in the effectiveness of organizations' compliance programs would be un. Believable. That's kind of where I'm at. Did, did I get at it the way you were open for, Tom, or is there another angle we should pursue? No, I uh, I just wanted to kind of throw it out there and, and see your take on it. I think where I'm kind of coming down, Roy, is that I'd really like to see, and, and you did touch on this, I'd like to see more um, compliance expertise on the board in the form oh, yeah. of uh, really a, a board member uh, not necessarily one who's dedicated to compliance, although he could chair, he or she could chair the compliance committee. But having a retired chief compliance officer, having a, a Roy Snell type, or having a someone who has been in compliance for some period of time, uh, have some gray, who has some gray hairs, and yeah. has been around the block once or twice, and can sit back and do two things. Once again, that you touched on, which is. Take that thirty thousand foot view, yeah, and then yeah. But also when when appropriate, take a deep dive as well. Say, okay, I want to go through. I want you, Mister Chief Compliance Officer, to prepare for me a report of the gift, travel, and entertainment spend of your top five international salesmen over the past yeah, twelve yeah. months, and I want a comparison. And he's got that the the uh, compliance committee chair or the compliance expert on the board would actually be able to make that, uh, you know, roll up their sleeves and, and work with the chief compliance officer to get the answer to that. So I'm really advocating for compliance expertise on the board, on the board as a board member, not hiring uh, a Tom Fox or a Roy Snell or somebody to be a subject matter expert when called upon, but to have that expertise on the board and expand yeah. that out uh, as part of the move to having independent board members. Uh, there are a lot of corporate areas that I think need uh, some expertise. And uh, it may be that data or data privacy or IT yes. is one of those. I think compliance Security. is one of those. Security. Yep. Uh, you know, a wide variety of, as corporations face greater and uh more uh, sophisticated risks, they may need subject matter expertise, uh, experts. And if you get someone who's been in the industry for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, who's been around for that period of time, who knows their stuff, um, you know, they, they don't have to be a former CEO of another Fortune 500 company. They don't need to be a retired general. They don't need to be a retired cabinet secretary from one of the various administrations. You need to have somebody that's got 
that specific subject matter expertise who can lead the board discussion, not lead the company, uh, because yeah. that's not the board's role. And that's really where I'm trying to trying to take this discussion, Roy. Yeah, I, I, I wish I'd thought of that. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you've done what I like to uh, uh, do myself, which is say, rather than sit and whine about it like I did, about wish the board was more well-educated, just try and get a best practice of getting a compliance expert on the board. Um, it would take care of the problem overnight. Um, because that individual would know the questions to ask and know best practice and, and be able to make suggestions like we got to have compliance at the table during the process development for incentives and that sort of thing. Uh, I do have a huge uh, stinking caveat, though, and that is, is uh, I have said to people quite often, you need compliance expertise. And um, on the board, and they all, well, they, I'm exaggerating for dramatic effect, but many say, we do. And they got somebody who came out of audit, or somebody who came out of legal, or somebody who's an, uh, an ethicist, or somebody who's a risk uh, person. And I'm sorry, but unless you've hung out with the, the, the compliance profession, uh, for a, a, a reasonable period of time, you are not an expert. It, it, compliance is, is the combination of about seven professions. Frankly, you could, you could, I've done this list before. It, 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 there's parts of like a dozen professions. And this idea a single profession can represent the compliance profession is just not accurate. And so um, I would just add to what you were saying, and then I want to ask uh, you a, a question about something else in a second here. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that I would just add that you take a long, hard look at what you consider your compliance expert to be. And it, it, you described it very well. Somebody who's been in the profession for a while. There are folks like yourself, Gabe Imperato, Sarah K. Wheeler, uh, and and many others who provide services to the compliance profession uh, and, and have been around for many years. There are people, and wildly qualified, for the, the board a compliance expert role. And then there's, of course, the folks who have been in the compliance profession, held the job. But, but if you say, I just saw a major corporation hire a compliance officer um, who is absolutely, very high-level position, absolutely no history in the compliance profession whatsoever. And I'm not going to be so specific as to tell you what their actual profession they're coming from was, but uh, because I might be too specific there, but it, 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 isn't, it isn't even on the top 10 list of the most misleading professions I mean, I wouldn't consider this person a compliance expert. And, and if this individual is a compliance per expert, everybody's a compliance expert. Um, that's how obscure their, their resume was. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, Tom. If, if, if we could uh, uh, get the board to uh, treat this just like any other, uh, you know, constant issue that's on the table, an issue that is so big that they feel like they should have uh, a constant expertise like uh, they do typically with finance, uh, then uh, the world would be a better place. This is Tom Box again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Unfair and Unbalanced, a podcast with Roy Snell and Tom Fox. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate us as it would help our rankings and also help us get the word out about this most unique podcast and indeed only podcast that focuses on the compliance profession. Also, if you have any questions, please email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode, and I hope you'll join me next week for another episode of Unfair and Unbalanced, a podcast with Tom Fox. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.